Adjusting trades that move against you can be hard enough. Choosing how to adjust and when to pull the trigger complicates what otherwise was a simple trade to start out with. Now throw in an early assignment into the mix and you've got quite the convoluted option trade on your hands. It sounds daunting already, doesn't it? But fear not, complicated and complex trades like the one that happened to us in FXI just the other month give you a great opportunity to learn and grow as a trader. And so on today's show, we'll walk through the entire FXI position from start to finish, including all the profit and loss calculations with adjustments and early assignment. So lean into the show and don't skip it. Your future self will thank you for taking the time now so that you don't have to freak out later when it does happen to you. You're listening to the Option Alpha podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you consistently place smarter, more profitable trades. So again, thank you so much for tuning in. And on today's show, number 184, we're going to be walking through all the adjustments and assignments that happened to us in our FXI case study. I think you guys will really enjoy this. We haven't done a case study podcast in a little bit, not because we haven't had a lot of things that we could have shown necessarily, but because we've been covering other topics. And I felt like this one is one that I wanted to throw into the mix recently because it was kind of like a double whammy, if you will. It was a position where not only we had to adjust the position because it was moving against us as we got closer to expiration, but then you kind of throw another monkey wrench into it. And we were dealt with an early assignment a couple of days before expiration as well. So for many people, adjusting can be hard enough. As we mentioned in the intro, you take an adjusting position and an assignment in the same position and 95% of people throw their hands up in the air and say, it's too tough. It's too complicated. I'm done. I'm out. And it's completely over. So this podcast is for those people who think one, that it may not happen to them, but two, have no idea what would happen if it did happen to them and what they would do or how they would think through it. And so hopefully after listening to this podcast, your future self will thank you for taking the time to do this now and to really kind of lean into this process. Because although it does take a little bit more brain power and a little bit more processing on your end, it actually is not that complicated when you start breaking it down and start making it very simple credits and debits, which is hopefully what we're going to try to do here. So we're going to go through all this. Again, all of the show notes will be there as a resource for you, including a screenshot of kind of the progression of our trade timeline. I put this together with our entry, our adjustment, and our exit points on the chart so you can see when we made adjustments to the position when we exited it. And also we have a video update that shows the original video update that was sent out to our pro and elite members when we actually close the position and walk through it as well. So if you want to listen to this and you can get it here, you want to watch the video update, you can get it on the show notes page. In either case, hopefully you'd spend the time now to go through this process. Again, learn exactly how to do it because it's going to happen at some point. You're going to have some of these trades. If you trade long enough that have these really complicated situations happen in the same expiration cycle. But if you really take the time to understand them and you understand exactly what mechanics are in place and how the processes work, again, it's really not that complicated. So you can get all the show notes over at optionoff.com slash show 184. Again, that's just the number 184 optionoff.com slash show 184. 
All right, so let's rewind time a little bit, and we're going to go all the way back to April 24th of 2020. So when we got into this position, which was again in FXI, which is a China index ETF, we got into this position with the assumption that generally FXI would move sideways. And that's not really any different than pretty much 95% of the trading that we do, where we get into positions assuming that the market's going to be generally neutral within a range. And this position was a good entry. I like the entry. We didn't overcomplicate it, overthink it. It was a very standard mechanical process for us to get into this position. And actually, if you go back a couple podcast episodes where we talk about correlations and the tickers that we use, FXI is one of our core tickers that came out of our research on correlations, one that we know we want to generally have exposure into on an ongoing basis. So we got into this position on April 24th of 2020. And the original position was to sell the 38 strike centered iron butterfly. So this means we sold the 38 calls. We sold the 38 puts both at the money at the time where FXI was trading. I think FXI was trading a little bit higher than that, about 38, 18 or so. So we kind of centered it closest at the money at the time. And then we went out on either end and we bought cheap wings for protection. Now, this is actually a really interesting point and something that we can use in this case study as hopefully like a learning moment, learning tool is that we don't always have to go an equal distance out on the wings. In fact, I see a lot of people who oftentimes what they'll do is they'll look at a position and say, oh, well, we have to go out $5 on the call side. We have to go out $5 on the put side. That's not necessarily the case. We don't have to go out an equal distance on either end. In fact, most of the time what we use is we use a delta as our target of where we want to buy the wings at. So we buy the wings maybe at a five delta or 10 delta or somewhere around there, all within reason. Now I say all within reason because you still have to check the pricing and sometimes you don't have to go out that far if you can get really cheap pricing and come in closer. And this actually happened in this FXI position where the put side spread was much wider than the call side spread ended up being. And if you think about the time period that this was, this was really coming after a little bit of a rebound and bounce that we had, but still relatively shortly after the March bottom that we saw in equity prices, including FXI. So the market had bounced, but it was still generally very concerned and option premiums reflected this concern that the downside risk was greater than the upside risk. And so what you saw is you saw the option premiums really swell on the put side of the market. So it was really expensive to buy puts, to buy protection, which meant that we had to go out further on the put side to buy cheap protection. So In our case, we went out to the 30 strike puts to buy our put protection. These puts cost us 23 cents for the puts. On the call side, we didn't have to go out as far. And so nobody was really concerned about FXI rallying, right? I guess at this point. So the calls were actually relatively cheap. And we went out to the 43 strike on the call side, which was only 11 cents. So it's really fascinating part of this is that the puts were 23 cents, more expensive, $8 out. And the calls, which are only $5 out, were half the price at 11 cents. So again, you don't have to go out $8 on each end. You don't have to say, look, because I went out $8 on the put side, I have to go out $8 on the call side. Probably didn't make sense to do that. It made sense only to go out $5 because it was cheap enough to go out $5. You don't have to go all the way out $8 on the call side just because you want to make it square and match up. So this means that the position has a $8 wing and a $5 wing. And this is important because you have to figure out the risk in this position or 
we can at least talk through the risk in this position as we keep going. We did all of these trades for a total credit of $3 exactly. This makes this case study a lot easier because we're starting out with a very simple credit. Not that it was intended to be that way, it's just where we got filled and what the pricing was, but it does make this case study a lot easier as we continue to go. So again, we sold the 38 centered Iron Butterfly and FXI for a $3 credit net of all the buying and selling that we did on all the wings. This means that the lower side risk that we had was $5. So the $8 wide spread less the credit that we received of $3. That means we had $5 of risk or $500 of risk on the lower side. And on the higher side, we only had about $200 of risk because the spread was only $5 wide and we took in a $3 credit. That means we only had about $2 of risk on the top side. So now that we have this total credit, now we can actually figure out our break-even points as well. I put this on the screenshot of the position, which is on the show notes page again. So you can see it, it's a dotted black line that shows it. And it's really easy to see because now we know it's just a $3 credit. So the calculations are very easy. But when we entered the position where the stock was trading right around $38, when we take in a credit of $3, that means our break-even range is plus or minus $3 from that center strike that we have at 38. So in our case, the top level break even for this position was $41. The bottom level break even for this position was $35. Ideally, we obviously love to see the stock by the end of expiration, which in this case was June expiration, close somewhere between 41 and 35, which is quite a large range. I mean, it's a $6 range. It wasn't like we were taking in very small credit. It's a pretty decent credit for this position to take in $3. So it gives you about a $6 range, obviously for the stock to trade in, which is quite a large range given that we had a huge volatility event happen just the month prior. So now we just let the position go. And really most of this moving forward, and you can see this visually on the chart. If you look at the chart on the show notes page, most of the next couple of weeks, the stock did pretty much exactly what we thought it would do or what we hoped it would do, which is generally move sideways. It had some ups and downs and some weeks it would go up and some weeks it would go down and other weeks it would go up and then back down. But generally it moved right in line, right around the 38 cent strike. However, during this time period, we really didn't see an opportunity to take money off the table because we were still so far from expiration. So we got an early move the right way that we wanted the stock to go, which was generally sideways but we didn't get enough of a decay in premium in order for us to take this position off at the time. I think we probably could have taken maybe a 5% profit, maybe a 10% profit. I don't know what it was at the time, but we definitely didn't have an opportunity to take money off the table. What ultimately ended up happening is we started to get into the month of expiration, which was June, is we started to see the markets really take off and run. And this happened right around pretty much the 1st of June. So the 1st of June, FXI started to go on a little bit of a run and actually a run that really took it from a low of around 37 or so at the end of May. It started to run all the way up to around 41, 42. So now we're getting close to expiration. We're into the month of expiration. So these contracts expire in June. We're starting to get into June and FXI is starting to go on this run and starting to run higher and higher and higher and starting to really challenge our break-even position. Now, at this point, this is where I decide to make decisions on making adjustments. And I do these for a couple of reasons, which we've mentioned in other podcasts, but it's worth kind of reiterating here again, just to go over them. If we're getting into the month of expiration, so we're actually physically in June, we're starting to run short on time. We've given it a lot of time to work out. We're starting to run short on time. So we can start thinking about making adjustments. 
Now, does this mean that we always have to adjust as soon as we get into the month of June or the month of expiration? Of course not. But it means that we can start thinking about making adjustments. The other thing I want to see is I want to see is the position really challenged. So in this case, at the time that we made the adjustment, we not only were in the month of June, a couple of days into June, but also the position was challenged. It was starting to go beyond our break-even points. And so we have to think to ourselves, look, if this does continue because we're running short on time, what do I need to do in order to adjust this position so that I don't take a full loss on this position if we can help it, right? Now, sometimes you can't help it. The stock moves way too far too fast or it happens so early in the cycle and just never comes back around. That is what it is. But sometimes with positions, we have an opportunity to make an adjustment so that we either turn a position that should be a loser into a profitable position, or we take a position that should have lost X number of dollars and we reduce the loss by some factor. I'm really a big fan of doing this because if I can take positions that should have lost and turn them into small winners or positions that should have lost, say, $700 and make them lose $300, that to me is another way that we break the zero-sum game that many people believe options trading is. So on June 3rd, we ended up rolling up our short puts on our Iron Butterfly in FXI from 38 to 41. And we did this for a net credit of 72 cents. And so here's the email that we actually sent out to our pro and elite members. And we said that we're also adjusting one of our positions for FXI in June. We have two positions for June, but we're adjusting the centered Iron Butterfly at 38, which we did, by the way. At the time, we had two positions in FXI. This case study only goes through the one that 38. And we said, here we are rolling up our short puts to go inverted by $3. However, our total credits are now $3.72, which we are again covering the width of the inversion. So there's a couple things we have to discuss here. One is the way that we adjusted this position. And it's very common to take an iron butterfly position or an iron condor position or spread or something and adjust the side that the market is not moving against. You can call this the opposing side. You can call this the unchallenged side, whatever you want to call it. You're basically moving the position on the opposite side of where the market is challenging you. So in our case, FXI was moving higher against our strikes. And so what we decided to do was roll up our puts. Now notice we didn't move our calls at all. Not our calls, not our call spreads. We didn't roll those out. We didn't roll those up. I'm not really a fan of doing that because you're basically digging yourself a deeper hole. Those are already losing. If you move them up and then the market continues to move against you, what's to say that it won't continue to move against you if you keep doing it and doing it over and over and over again? You're basically forcing yourself to take a loss on those positions versus hopefully seeing if they maybe turn around and come back the other direction. So at the time that we made this trade on June 3rd, FXI was trading well above our break-even points and was actually looked like it was starting to break out and starting to rally, which it did for quite some time. And so we decided to roll up our put options on our position, which basically what that did is that gave us an opportunity to collect some extra credit, which in this case was 72 cents of extra credit. That extra credit helps widen our break-even points by another 72 cents on this position. Now, in exchange for doing that, because there's no free lunch, you can't just get all these extra credits and widen your break-even points without giving up something, right? That's the whole idea around trading. It's like there has to be something that you gave up. In exchange for doing this, we reduced the total profit on this position that we could make down to 72 cents. Now, this is really easy math. And again, it's helpful for this case study. It won't always happen this way. But if you remember, our original credit 
when we had originally sold the position on April 24th was $3. So we took in this nice $3, big $3 credit. Now that we're getting challenged, it's not as important to me to keep that entire credit. I'm willing to use that credit as a means to adjust the position, as a buffer to adjust the position so that I increase my probability of winning on the position or even reduce the risk in the position should the market continue to move against us to the top side. And I'm willing to do that and give up some of that credit that I take in. So this is a fascinating thing about Iron Butterflies is that you take in this big credit. And I know that most of the time we won't always collect that full credit, but it's a means to adjust the position if we want to, right? That we can use that credit to our advantage if the market starts to go against us. So if you think back to the original position, on the call side of our position, we had $2 of risk. It was a $5 wide spread. We sold the 38, we bought the 43. And so the $5 spread with a $3 credit meant that we had $2 of total risk on the position. Now that we have collected an extra 72 cents of premium, we're able to reduce the risk by 72 cents on the call side. Now our break-even point is 72 cents higher than where it was before, which means that the original position had $2 of risk on the call side and now only has $1.28 of risk. So the $2 risk less the 72 cents that we had collected on the adjustment meant that now our risk, if the stock were to continue moving higher, was reduced from $2 down to $1.28 for each of the contracts that we sold. Now, this is really important because that basically reduces the risk on the call side of this position by 36%. That small tweak, that small adjustment that we had reduces the risk in the position by 36%. I would lose 36% less if FXI just continued to move higher up to the moon, right? This is an important point because a lot of people don't actually think about this logically. They don't think about reducing risk on positions that are bleeding, if you will. So like what I always think about is like if a patient's on the table, before I'm worried about saving the patient's life, I need to stop the bleeding. Like that's how I'm going to save the patient's life, right? I need to stop the bleeding before I can stitch up the wound. That's what we have to do with positions. If a position starting to go against you and you have to make an adjustment, your focus and your sole focus should be on reducing risk as much as possible. So in exchange for reducing risk by 36%, I did have to cut down on how much I was willing to make on the position and I had to go inverted by $3. So going inverted by $3 essentially means that my strikes were in inverse of where they ideally should be in a position. This is what we call inversion. An inversion happens when a short put option is at a higher strike than a short call option. And this means that they're inverted. And what essentially happens is that the new spread can no longer trade for a value less than the width of that inversion. So when you invert your strikes by $3, it means that the spread is only going to reduce its value down to $3 by expiration. If your inversion was $5, it means the minimum value of that spread at expiration is going to be $5. It won't go to zero anymore, essentially. It will go exactly to the width of the spread or the inversion strikes that you have on the inside. That's again, if the stock is trading between those levels of expiration. Now, why is this? So again, in our case, we had the 38 short calls and we moved our short puts up from 38. So we closed our 38 short puts and then we sold 41 short puts. So higher short puts, but we didn't move our short calls. 
So this creates that $3 inversion. And this happens because if you think about it at expiration, if the stock is trading between those levels, that means that I would be essentially in the money on our 38 short call. So I would have to short stock at 38 and I would be in the money on our short put, which means I'd have to buy stock at 41. So if I'm always buying stock at 41 and always selling or shorting stock at 38, I would always create a $3 loss on that position. That's again, just looking at the actual stock position itself. So when we talk about going inverted on a position, what's important is that we collect a credit that is worth more than the width of the inversion. So in our case, we had a $3 credit to begin with, which meant that really we could go $3 inverted and give up all of our credit if we wanted to. Now, when we adjusted this position, we collected an extra 72 cents, which means that our total credit on the position was $3.72, but we had to invert our position by $3. So that means that we will always lose at least $3 on the position, which means that our total credit of $3.72, less the width of the inversion, which is $3, left us with a total possible profit. If we were to get the stock to come back into our range, total possible profit of 72 cents by expiration. So again, this is the trade-off that you have to make or decide to make if you want to with positions that get challenged. This is also why we start to really make these decisions further into the expiration cycle. We don't make them the second that the position challenges us with 62 days to go till expiration. We let the position move and we let the ebbs and flows of the market take shape until we start to see that we're running out of time and we need to make some decisions, right? And so in this case, we collected an extra credit, which moved our break-even point out, which reduced our risk by 36%. And in exchange for that, we gave up our total profit potential from $3 originally, if we were to pin it exactly at 38 at expiration, to 72 cents if we could get the stock to move back into our range and hold it all the way to expiration. Now, once we have adjusted this position, the goal with the adjustment is to hopefully see the stock come back into our adjusted range, into our inverted range. That would be the ideal scenario. And so once we adjusted this position on June 3rd, we started to just literally sit back and watch. We had to watch and see what FXI was doing. We had to be patient and hopefully see this thing come back around because at that point, we've done a lot of what we could have done to continue to protect the position. And now it was just a game of letting the probabilities and the numbers play out. All right, now fast forward a couple of days and what we actually saw happen on June 11th is we actually saw that we were assigned early in the morning. We got an email notification from our broker that we were assigned on our short 38 calls. Now, again, this is where I'm telling you because I get the emails, I see it from everybody. This is the hands get thrown up moment. This is the tap out, I'm done. I don't wanna do this anymore, right? This is where people just go, oh my God, like this position, it was a adjusted position, it's challenging me and now I got assigned and it's like the world is falling down around you. But it's frankly just over reactionary to what actually happens. As we were approaching expiration, which was only a couple days away, on June 11th, when we got assigned the short 38 calls, it was not really that unexpected. I mean, it was early for sure. It was definitely before the week of expiration. It was a couple days before expiration, obviously. But it wasn't that out of the ordinary because at the time, our short 38 calls were deep in the money. So when we had originally sold the position, the stock was trading at 38 and we had so much time left. Well, now that there's less time, so less time value, 
volatility is starting to come out. The contracts are starting to approach their intrinsic value. Now, somebody who's holding a 38 long call option decides, look, I don't want to hold this position all the way to expiration. I want to convert it over now. And so they did, and we got assigned those contracts. And so with the stock trading the day before, so on the 10th, the stock was trading up around 41 and a half. Those short 38 call options were three and a half dollars basically in the money. And so they were starting to trade very close to their intrinsic value. So it's not unusual that you would have been assigned. Now, even though we were assigned those contracts, we decided to hold the position and hold the shares. Now, there's two important things that we have to talk about here. One is that this position was a covered risk position. So a lot of people don't understand this component, or at least they just completely forget about it for some reason when they actually deal with assignment. They think that the assignment is now separate from the other option contracts. And although your brokerage account might show them in separate places, like here's your stock and here's your option contracts, remember that our original position that we had in FXI included a long 43 call option. So even though we are assigned stock and we have to deal with the assigned stock for sure, we were still protected on the call side. We still had the long 43 call option, which was there as a buffer for our new short stock that we were assigned. Now, if you didn't have the long options, of course, yeah, you have to make some really hard decisions. Like, do we want to hold the assignment with no protection or do we want to add protection? Do we want to, you know, remove the shares? Like, what do you have to do? But in our case, because we trade a lot of things with spreads, if we're assigned on a position, it's really no different. It's just an exchange of saying, look, you're either going to have a really deep in the money call option that has negative value because it's deep in the money, or you're going to have a signed stock, which has negative value because you had to sell shares at 38 and now they're trading at 41 and change. But it really doesn't change the layout of the structure of the trade because we still have that long call option that's giving us protection until we get to expiration. Now, again, after expiration, yeah, we have to make some decisions. Like, do you want to hold beyond expiration? But at least for that time period, when we were assigned stock in the morning, we realized that it was okay to hold the position because it was covered. It was a covered position. So for the time, it was just going to increase our margin to hold that position, to hold shares. It's obviously cheaper margin-wise to hold an option contract than shares, but it was nearing expiration. So we felt like we could do it. The second thing that I want to talk about here is that not all assignments mean that the other party is smarter. This is like a fascinating one to me. And this one really plays into this very, very well because what a lot of people assume is that the other party is smarter than you or that it's smarter than you are at that time. Like they know something that I don't know, or they know that the market's going to move higher that I don't know. So I'm only getting assigned because now I'm on the end. That's going to be the losing end. That's not always the case. And this is a great example. This is a premier case study in this ideology that a lot of people have, or this false belief that a lot of people have that when they are assigned, it's because somebody else knows something about the position that they don't or the underlying that they don't. And now it's going to 100% continue to move against them. So in our case, we were assigned short stock, which means that we sold short stock at 38, which was the strike price of the assignment. And we had to sell that stock to the option buyer of that call option contract And so because we were short stock at 38 and the stock was trading higher at 41 and a half the day before, it looks like they're making a really good decision and they're deciding to assign their contracts and the stock is going to continue to move higher. 
However, just that morning, as news was starting to break and the market cycles were starting to change, we actually saw that the market was going to go through a pretty big down day. And so they literally assigned the shares. Now, whether they did this willingly or not, this is the whole idea. It's like they didn't necessarily know anything was going to happen more so than we did, but they literally assigned the shares before a major drop in FXI. So on June 11th, actually FXI stock dropped significantly from the prior day's close. It went from 41 and change, almost 42 down to around 40, and then actually started to dip into 39. So you had a major, major reversal in the stock the day, the morning that the shares were assigned to us. So this really kind of proves the point that they don't know anything. They don't know anything different than we know. In fact, we're all just clueless kind of trading in this market environment together. That just because they assigned the contract to you and now you're short stock doesn't mean that you're going to take it up the rear end because the stock is going to continue to go higher, right? It's a very, very false belief that a lot of people carry with them all the time is that once they're assigned the position that immediately it's going to continue to go against us. So this actually played well into our position. However, even though we were assigned shares and we knew that we could hold the shares because they were covered, we just let the market play out for that particular day. Now we started to see the news come out and we started to see the market start to sell off. So this actually gave us an opportunity on June 11th, the day that we were assigned the shares to remove the entire position for a net profit. Now it wasn't a huge net profit for us to be able to say, write home and say, yes, honey, we're going to pay off the house with this net profit, right? But it was enough of a move down, enough cyclicality in FXI that we were able to remove the position for a net profit. So you can visually see the move down on the show notes page in Night Circle the day that we exited the position on June 11th. And you can see the prior day, which is not circled, but you can see where the stock was trading prior to our assignment and exit. But the stock moved back into our range just a couple days before expiration. And this is all you need, by the way. So this is the whole genesis of making adjustments and going inverted to me is reduce risk in case the stock doesn't move back into our range, right? That's number one, stop the bleeding, reduce risk. But if the stock does move back into our range, then you immediately have an opportunity because we're closer to expiration, you get a favorable move a couple days before, right at expiration, you should be able to take off the position for a profit. It's gotta move back into your zone, back into your window to take the position off for a profit. And in our case, that happened literally the morning after we were assigned, after all the bad news that came out, just literally hours after the assignment came through. So in our case, when the stock opened up on the 11th, we were able to reverse the inverted position, which was now a little bit more complicated. So I want to walk through that. It wasn't as easy as just removing the contracts because now one of the legs was converted to shares. But if you think about it, we were able to reverse the inverted position in whole and still take a net profit. So let me walk through first the reversal of the inverted position, and then we can walk through the P&L stuff. Because we were assigned short stock at 38, the first thing that we had to do was buy back stock. So we had to buy back to close the short stock position. We basically had to cover our short stock position. And we did that by buying back shares at 40.36. So again, just the morning earlier, yesterday, the day before, shares were trading significantly higher. Now they're trading lower. We were able to buy back those shares at 40.36. In fact, if we waited to the end of the day, we probably could have bought them back even cheaper, but we got a move that we wanted early in the cycle. So we bought back shares at 40.36. 
Additionally, we had a short put option at 41. You remember we rolled up our short put option from 38 to 41 to go inverted on June 3rd. So we had to buy back that 41 short put option, which was now a little bit in the money because the stock was trading below 41. And that's okay. We still need to account for that, but we had to remove this risk because we didn't want to go inverted on this position and carry that all the way through expiration. We're trying to remove the position, right? So we bought back our 41 short puts for $1.25. This means that the net debit that we paid to remove this position and get out of the position, the short shares and the in the money short put was 41.61. So that's how much it cost us to get out of the position at the time. And that was a combination again of the 4036 that we had to pay for the shares and the 125 that we had to pay for the short 41 put option. Now all this might seem really confusing, so I want to now back up all the way and start going through the PL on this thing so you can understand exactly how we calculate the PL on this. And I always do this and I do this in videos all the time. I'll do it here. I've do this every time that we do a podcast or a case study. I always take things on a per contract basis. And then at the end, you can multiply by the number of contracts that you have. But if you keep your trading very simple and very standardized, meaning you do sets of three or sets of two, whatever, and you don't just randomly add weird sets all over the place, you try to keep it as standardized as possible. It makes these calculations really, really easy to go through. So let's go through them together without your calculator. No, seriously, like do this right now because it's really, really important that you do this physically, that you not only just listen to me do it, hopefully, but also that you do this on your calculator because it makes sense when you do it. And if you do it one time, I promise you'll be able to do it for all the other ones moving forward. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to start simply with credits and debits. And this is all options trading is anyway. It's all that assigned stock is anyway. It's just simply credits and debits. And we're going to do it for a single contract and a single lot of shares. And then we can multiply it by the number of contracts that we have or the shares at the end. In this case, we did two of these. We did two contracts, two iron butterflies. It means we were assigned 200 shares of stock. So at the end, we'll multiply everything by two to get our total PL for the full position. But the first thing that we're going to start with is our $3 net credit that we collected on trade entry. So in your calculator, you just simply put three, 3.00, and then you hit enter. That's your starting point. You have a credit, a positive number of $3 in your account for this trade. Now, if you started a trade with a debit, you would subtract $3. But in our case, as option sellers, we collected a net credit of $3. Now we add the 72 cent credit that we collected when we adjusted the position. So you add 0.72 to your calculator and you hit enter. And now you can see that your net credits after making the adjustment, in which case you collect an extra 72 cents of premium is $3 and 72 cents. Now this is where our position stood before we had to deal with the assignment and start to close out the position. Now what happens is the following. Now we are assigned short stock at 38. So this is the confusing part for a lot of people, but if you think through it, it's not that bad. So when you are assigned short stock, you don't buy stock, right? If you're short stock, technically you sell stock and you collect a credit of the stock price. So in our case, when we are assigned short stock, we actually collect the full value of the strike price that we are assigned. So when you are doing your calculations, you take the strike price that you were assigned and you add that to 
the credit that you have on the position. In our case, we add the 38 strike call options, which we were assigned. That gives us a total credit, which also just so happens to be your break-even point, of 41.72. So we were assigned stock at 38, which means we did take in a credit to sell stock at 38. And our total credits now are 41.72. The strike price of the assigned shares, 38, plus the credits that we collected on the option trades, which give us a total credit of 41.72, also ends up being your adjusted break-even point for the shares themselves. You need the shares to trade under 41.72 in order for you to make money, again, not including the other contracts. So now that we get to the day of June 11th, where we could close out the position, we had to buy back the shares to cover the position. So notice the terminology that we use. We had to buy back the shares, which means we had to spend money. It cost us a debit to buy back the shares in order to reverse the short stock position. So the shares cost us 4036 a piece. So now we subtract from our calculator 40.36. That gives us a leftover credit of $1.36. So once we bought back the shares, now we've removed the shares from the equation. We were assigned the shares. We bought them back, right? So we covered the position. We no longer have to deal with the shares. What we are left with now is a credit still, still a credit of $1.36, but we're not done yet. We have to remove the short put option position that's in the money, the 41 short puts, so now those puts are trading for $1.25, so we can buy those back for $1.25. Notice again the terminology that we use. We're buying them back. We're not selling them. We're buying them back and closing the position, which means it costs us a debit. So we subtract 1.25, which is the cost of those short put options, and what we are left with is 0.11, a positive 0.11, which is $11 of total profit after all adjustments, after everything's included for each of the contracts. Now, again, I said earlier, no hype. This wasn't a big trade to like write home about, but it was a trade that we were able to adjust. The starting move against us had to go through an assignment, still ended up with a profit on the trade. So this was the final P&L for the position. Once we bought back the 125, we subtracted that out of our 136 credit that we had left over after we removed the shares, we're still left with a positive number, a credit that is left in our account of 11 cents for each of these contracts. And we multiply that by two and we get a $22 profit overall. So really simple there. So again, not a trade that you can definitely pay your mortgage on, but had we done nothing at all and let the position go, and if the stock continued to move higher, we didn't make adjustments, definitely could have lost money, could have lost money even as the stock kind of rallied heading into expiration. So the stock did actually rally from that point and ended expiration around the 41, 40 and a half level. So for us, it was really close. It was very marginal at best. And making this adjustment turned something that could have potentially been worse into a small winner. Now, again, the complication in doing stuff like this is really not something that the market imposes on you. It's more of a mindset shift that you have to go through as a trader to slow your thought process down, to deliberately walk through every step and think, did I collect money? Did I pay money? How does that impact my P&L? What actually happened versus the typical response that most people have, which is, I'm just going to freak out throw my hands up, scream, 
use somebody as a scapegoat, blame somebody that this happened because this should never happen, air fingers quotes, but you know that it's eventually going to happen. In fact, if you're in business long enough as an options trader, it's going to happen many times potentially. So instead of just throwing your hands up and just saying, you know what, forget it. I'm never going to understand this. Why not just take your time and understand it now once so that you can do it again and again and again. So this is a really interesting case study. Hopefully it was really helpful for you. Like I said, it was a great position that didn't go our way initially, right? And didn't really end up where we thought it was going to end up, which happens often in trading where things don't go your way and don't end up where they think they're going to end up. But we were able to just make smart adjustments to this position, calm down, be patient enough to let the market cyclicality work itself out in a sense that we were able to turn what could potentially have been a loser into a nice little winner. And we were able to manage through an assignment that a lot of people, I think, threw their hands up and just gave up on. So it's a really interesting case study. Again, all the show notes and all the graphs and stuff like that will be on the website, optionalpha.com slash show 184. Again, that's just the number 184. And let me know what you guys think. If this was helpful, if it wasn't helpful, if you want to see more stuff like this, let us know in the show notes comments so we can start doing more of this for you guys or not, or see other different ways in which we handle positions. I thought that this was a really good one because it touched on a lot of different things that we could cover in today's show. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. This is Brian from California. I uh, just had a question for you that might be good for the daily call for people with a smaller account, about $8,000 and looking um, to improve the portfolio management. Um, this is regarding IV rank, diversification, and managing between expiration months. Let's say, hypothetically, you have an iron condor in EWW for a June expiration. Let's say there's about 17 days left until that expiration, and it's near the top of list for IV rank right now on the watch list. So you're thinking that it's maybe too late to ladder in for the June expiration with another iron condor staying under the 5% allocation limit for ticker symbol. So maybe add in another iron condor for July, but you're getting pretty close to the 5% allocation limit. Or do you forget EWW and diversify, start building out July with another ticker symbol that might have a lower IV rank, maybe in the 20s, for example? So that's the question, just kind of uh, looking for the general approach and, and a good way to think about it. Any help you can give would be much appreciated. Thank you. All right. Hey, Brian, this is a really good question and one that I think a lot of people have some confusion around because this really is the difference between drawing a hard line on your allocations and your rules around trading or having guideposts that you can use that can be somewhat flexible, right? So in this regard, I think of, I don't know why, but visually, I think that a tree is the best visual representation of this when it comes to trading rules, because you have this massive tree and it's got all these arms and all these limbs, but the tree itself can flex and blow in the wind. 
but it still remains firm in the same place, right? Like the tree is planted in the ground, but it has a little bit of flexibility and give when a storm comes and starts blowing it around. Not that this is a storm type of event, but this is an area where I think you have to be a little flex potentially, or that's how I would think about it. You have to be a little flex with this, knowing that in your case, you have this EWW position for June that's going to roll off in a couple of days, maybe sooner than expiration. And so for the time being, if you have a smaller account and you need to get over that 5% threshold to start building out the next expiration, knowing that one expiration is going to fall off soon, do you give yourself enough flex to do that? And I think in many cases you do. The thing that I see people do though, however, is they take this to the nth degree, which is they break the limbs completely off the tree. And they say, look, Kirk said you can flex on this. You don't have to do this. And they bend the rule so much so that it breaks completely. That's why I use the tree analogy of this because you don't want to bend the tree so much that it completely breaks. You don't want to remove the firmness of the rules that you have in place. You can flex them a little bit, but they still have to remain pretty steady and strong. So in this case, let me go through an example of what I wouldn't do. So if you had a position in EWW for June and you were under your 5% allocation and now adding another position in July would take you to a 6% allocation or maybe a 7% allocation for a smaller account. Okay. I think that's decently reasonable. 6%, sure. 7%, eh, it's kind of getting iffy. Make sure your positions are pretty balanced, but at least it's doable. But if somebody takes this and they say, well, I have a 5% position in June, and if I add July, now I'm at 10% exposure, that's too much for me. That's where the rule breaks. That's where you bend the rule so much so that it actually breaks the limb off. So that's the way I would look at it. So can you give yourself a little bit of flexibility knowing that positions are going to fall off all the time? Of course. But don't give yourself so much flexibility. Don't pull on those flexible levers so much so that they snap in a really, really bad environment. Because just because a position should fall off, like the June expiration should fall off as the July is getting added and vice versa, that doesn't mean that it's going to happen that way. So yes, you can give yourself a little flexibility, but don't give yourself too much flexibility with rules like this that you really basically shoot yourself in the foot because you're holding on to something that's very unsteady the more weight you put on it. Hopefully this helps out. As always, if you guys want to get your question answered here on the podcast, simply head on over to optionoff.com slash ask, just like Brian did, and click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install. It goes right to me. I sort these every week and we start adding them to the podcast. So the quicker you get your question in, the faster we can get it added to the podcast and we can get it queued up for the next show. So let's get into the closing bell segment where we're going to talk about a new trade that we're making today. The closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so today we're getting into a new position that we're entering in the ticker symbol XRT. XRT is an ETF that tracks retail, and I personally believe that this retail ETF has gone way too far too fast. However, my opinion and what the market does are usually two different things and often do not jive well together. So take it with a grain of salt, but at least my opinion on the market and what our portfolio can handle is another bearish position to give us some exposure in case XRT does move lower or in case at least stays lower. 
by the time that we reach expiration. So in this example, or right now, XRT is trading around 42 and change, and we're selling the August 45 call options and buying the August 50 call options for protection. That gives us a net credit of 98 cents, so almost a dollar credit. And this position is selling these option contracts, assuming obviously that XRT either stays lower than 45, which is our short strike price, or continues to move lower by expiration. So it actually can go up a couple dollars and go up $3 essentially to really to our break-even points, almost $4 it can go up in price. But ideally, we just want to see XRT move lower by the time that we get to expiration or at least any time before then, we have an opportunity to take this position off. So we're doing this with a small lot. We're doing only three contracts to start. We can add more laddered entries later on if we want to. I like a lot of these credit spreads right now where we are going deliberately bearish on the market, not only because we can get some of these into the market and give us an opportunity to take something off if we get a little bit of a retracement from this huge rally that we've had, but also because it does give us a very quick out and way to adjust this position back to neutral if we're wrong in our assumption. So if I'm wrong in this assumption and XRT actually rallies up and goes from 42 to 45 very quickly, well, then I can come right back in and sell the 45, 40 put spread and collect additional credit and basically convert this over very quickly, very easily to an iron butterfly position. Now, I like doing this right now because it gives us, again, a lot of flexibility. If we're wrong in our assumption, we can convert it and we can turn it into a neutral position and manage it from there. If we're right in our assumption, at least for now, then we have an opportunity to take something off early, potentially really early because we're going a little bit directional. You don't want to get too carried away. You don't want to have all your positions on one side. So we're still doing some neutral trading, but at least we're kind of feathering in some of these deliberately bearish positions to give us some exposure in case the markets do head lower. So again, we're doing a credit call spread, a bearish call spread in XRT for August, selling the 45, buying the 50 for a net credit of 98 cents. Good position, like the position. We'll see where it goes. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right. So that's a wrap for this week's podcast episode here at Option Alpha. But before we go, let's please keep the conversation going. Please connect with us on your favorite social media platform. We're everywhere at Option Alpha. Let us know what questions you have, ideas, thoughts came to mind after listening to today's show. And like we said, if you like this kind of stuff, if you want to see more of these case studies, if you want to see something different, if you want to see some other shows, give us some ideas. This is what we are here for. We are here for you. So we will take all of those ideas, throw them into our board and start drafting out more shows for the rest of the year. Also want to let you know, we've got coming up next week on the show, a podcast all about getting filled on trades. So filling orders and getting filled and how you do it and the mechanics around it is a really hot topic. And so we dedicate an entire show next week to helping you kind of understand that process and potentially use some techniques that might help fill trades a little bit faster or potentially at better prices. So you definitely don't want to miss that. That's show 185 that's coming out next week on getting filled and option trades. As always, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to help you consistently play smarter, more profitable trades. And until next time, happy trading.